Hallelujah. 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 Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Hallelujah. Can we give Jesus a hand of praise? He's the one who really deserves it. Amen. 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 This is the day the Lord has made, and we rejoice. We are glad in it, and I am really glad to be back at uh, what I consider to be a home here at Northridge, and uh, I experienced uh, my first glory of Christmas this year, and so I'm officially, I know, right? So I'm saved now, and, um, and as I was sharing in the other services, I don't normally do this, Brad doesn't even like me to talk about it much, but I really celebrate the visionary, courageous leadership of Brad Powell and the leadership here at this church. Can we just honor God for the leadership here? Amen. And as he mentioned in the video, you know, the generosity that you all provide to allow campuses to open up in communities that desperately need to hear the gospel. It doesn't mean that other churches don't exist, uh, but you know the uniqueness of the DNA of this church allows many people that are far from God, that are trying to investigate what it's all about, to really have an opportunity to find Jesus. And so it's just an honor to be a part of, uh, of a family that is committed to that. So we honor the Lord, and we're grateful to be back. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look in the New Testament at the book of Philippians, chapter 4. For those who brought your Bibles with you, the, the uh, verses will be on the screen as well. But Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 10. It reads, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Verse 13 again, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. We're going to look at one more verse over in the book of Acts. It's just to the left of Philippians. It's uh, Acts 17 and 28. Acts 17, 28 says this. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. But 28a says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As is my custom, I'm going to ask you to, uh, for one moment, be antisocial and get ready to connect with someone on either side of you by announcing the subject of the message. So if you would turn to your neighbor and help me announce the subject today, turn to your neighbor and ask them this question. Say to them, neighbor. Some of y'all still didn't do it. Okay. We're going we're gonna to just turn either way and just say to somebody in your vicinity, say to them, neighbor, I've got a question. To be or not to be? That is the question. Now that you've practiced, turn to the other person and say, hey, you. Got a question. To be or not to be? That's the question. Great job, Northridge. All right. To be or not to be? All of us desire to improve. 
All of us want, as a matter of fact, the reason that many of us come uh, to church is that we want to hear the word of God. We want to uh, join in worship so that we can become uh, greater in our understanding of God and in the word of God and in our connection with him. Uh, most of us want to go from where we are to where we believe that we should be. And we do those things that are necessary to get there. Many of us have made New Year's resolutions. Remember those? This is the year that I'm going to shed some pounds. This is the year that I'm going to really commit myself to reading the word. This is the year that I'm going to really get my finances right. This is the year that I'm going to do on and on and on. So whatever those are, we, we all commit to do things so that we can get better. And there's nothing wrong with that. But unfortunately, many of us end up applying this mentality of doing to our theology. We end up feeling that uh, the more that we do, the more actions that we uh, offer or render to God, uh, that in some kind of way that maybe earns credit or earns certain points with him. I do believe that the scripture is true when it says that faith alone is dead, that faith without corresponding action or faith without works is dead. So if a person truly does have faith, they do desire to serve God. They do desire to do something with their life to honor him. But it's very key that we understand that our relationship with him is not um, regulated or is not defined by what we do. Indeed, our relationship with God is strictly receiving the gift of his love for us in, in his son, Jesus Christ. Next week, I have a birthday coming up and um, I'll be 18, I believe. Um, Okay, I'm sorry. I won't be 18. All right. All right I'll be older. Uh, but, but, but if someone gives me a gift and says, okay, Harvey, I've got a gift for you for your birthday. But before I give it to you, here are the eight things you need to do. There would be something wrong with that, right? It would no longer be a gift because at that point I've had to work or earn it. So God gives us the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive, the gift of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. It is a gift. And for those of us that kind of operate from a doing mentality, sometimes it's very difficult to receive the gifts of God. For many of us, it's difficult to actually even comprehend how God could be so loving and so kind and so merciful that he would just graciously give to us without there being a catch. Surely there's got to be something I need to do. And so we learn in this particular text a life-changing lesson from the Apostle Paul. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he's sharing with them, first of all, his gratitude for their, uh, their gift to him. Paul found himself oftentimes in many uh, kind of difficult circumstances. He'd be in jail often. He would find himself shipwrecked. Because of the gospel, he would find himself oftentimes in very dire straits, needing sometimes the support of those churches that he uh, helped start. And the church at Philippi was the only church that had actually sent him tangible support, and they were not able to do it for a while, and they kind of felt a bit guilty. And he said, listen, it's not that you didn't want to do it, but you didn't have an occasion. Look back at Philippians 4, and look what it says, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He says, I know that you wanted to, to, to give me uh, a gift and wanted to help me in the journey, but you just weren't able to do it at the time. But look what he says in verse 11. This is where it kind of shifts. He takes this moment, look up this way. He takes this moment to say, uh, I, I want to teach you a deeper principle. Although you gave to me as an offering and wanting to support me, I'm grateful for that. But I want to teach you a life lesson that I've learned that has allowed me to live a life uh, that has a greater quality. 
And I believe that that lesson is something that we can learn as well. Verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Such an important verse. Paul says that my demeanor is not something that I was born with. Have you ever met people that just kind of have that laid back kind of disposition? You know, that's just kind of how they are. I mean, even sometimes uh, if you have multiple kids, uh, you have one kid that's super duper hyper and one kid that's just kind of laid back, you know. Uh, And so he says, listen, this is not necessarily my natural disposition to be a person who is uh, uh, content, contented, but I've learned how to be a person who is content. He says, I have actually had some lessons that has taught me how to be content, whatever the circumstances. I don't know about you, but I want to learn that lesson. If I could learn how to be content, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, if if I could learn how to not become unraveled, it's obvious sometimes you can almost tell where a person is in life by their demeanor. When a person is experiencing uh, great joys and nothing's really going wrong, they're often happy and kind of effervescent, throwing parties at the house, just really excited. But when a person is kind of going through, you'll see them. Sometimes here at Northridge, they'll just kind of see them in the hallways, like, you know, with that look, don't talk to me today look. Have you ever, have you ever had that look yourself, right? So, so some of us sometimes have a difficult uh, time uh, not allowing our countenance, not allowing even our life to kind of show what we're going through. He says, I've learned, however, how to be content no matter what the circumstance. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. What an important, important point that uh, that Paul raises. Uh, I'm afraid, I'm a bit concerned about much of the theology in our American churches when it comes to the subject of um, Christianity. Uh, and, and, and many Christians are teaching that the moment that you accept Jesus, that's kind of a, a get out of uh, every trouble in the world card. Th- that the moment that you accept Jesus, at that point, it's tiptoe through the tulips. It's just going to be happy days from here on in. I will never forget uh, a pastor down in Mississippi at a little small church down in Mississippi. And a lady came up to him and said, Pastor, uh, I just want to let you know I've been serving the Lord for 25 years. And I have not one time had to encounter that devil. I tell you what, I've been walking in victory. I've been overcoming every single obstacle. Never had a bad day. Never had any troubles. Never had any moment where the devil has opposed me. He says, oh, that's awesome. Uh, Tell you what I need you to do. Would you just bow your head right where you are? She said, sure, I will. And he said, pray this prayer. Jesus. Jesus, save me. (laughs) Jesus, save me. He said, because, honey, it's impossible that, he said, the reason why you haven't had any problems, because if the devil's not fighting you, it's because you're running with him. (laughs) It's impossible to be on God's team, to be connected to God, and to not go through some time of want, some time of lack, some time of need, some time of adversity. And so what I'm grateful for is that this apostle, this Christian leader says, I know, I didn't read it, I didn't observe it, third, third party, but I know personally what it is to be in need. And you all, isn't it amazing that maybe our view of being in a difficult place is the wrong view? Many times when we're in need, Many times when we're in adversity, many times when we're in situations that are difficult, we automatically ask ourselves, what am I doing wrong? 
there, there must be something that I'm not doing right because if I was doing it right, I would not be in a bad situation. Here is the Apostle Paul. Nobody greater, you guys. He wrote the bulk of the New Testament. Here is the Apostle who, you know, got knocked off the horse by God and, you know, the whole deal. Here he, I know what it is to be in need. You can be in the center of God's will and still be in adversity. You can be in the middle of God's will and still go through things. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And maybe it's because in those times of need, that is where God shows himself. We don't need God if there are not opportunities that require him. The scripture often tells us that he's, he's ever present in time of what? In time of need. There would not be often a need for God to show up as Jehovah Rapha, as God our healer, if there weren't moments that we needed healing. Moments where he is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord God with us. He would not have to do that if we don't feel alone. And so some of us think that if we're going through adversity, it must mean that God does not love us. Maybe it's that God wants to reveal himself in those moments that are darkest and those moments that are most difficult. Sometimes God doesn't change the circumstance, but he changes us in the circumstance. We're praying, God, change the situation. And he's saying, I want to change you in it. Remember those uh, three Hebrew boys in the Old Testament? Shadrach and Meshach and a bad Negro? I'm sorry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, those guys. And what's so deep is when I crack a joke and some of y'all still are mean and Oh, Jesus is going to get you. All right. <laughs> These three Hebrew boys, because they loved God and they honored God and they were committed to him, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. And we knew that in those days, that's how they, they had things in that day to prepare water and heat water and to do things. So they had this huge furnace. They threw them in, bound, tied up. The king looked in and saw something miraculous. The Bible says he looked and he saw these three boys who were just thrown in bound. The Bible says they were free and there was someone walking with them that looked like the son of God. Here they were not removed from the furnace, but God showed himself in the furnace. Sometimes God does not remove us from need, from want, from lack, from adversity, but he shows himself up in it. So that when people look at us and see us still moving around in the middle of adversity, they say there must be a God at work in their life. He's, amen. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to not have. I know what it is to be in want. He says, but I also know what it is to have plenty. My wife is joining me for the services. I'm so grateful to have her. And it's so scary to have her because she tells me like things that I don't do right in preaching. And so it gets really kind of scary. So I told her uh, last night, I debriefed with her and I said, honey, um, they asked me, which service do you want to show to the campuses out of the two that you preach? And I, I'm like, man, I, I said something here. I didn't say, but I said, I'll do the second one. But then I said, honey, I kind of, I kind of regret that I told him the second one because I said something really dumb. She said, well, of course you did. She said, so what was it? And I said, I said, I don't like white people. I used to not like white people. And she said, you said what? You said you didn't like white people? <laughs> yeah. 
And the reason I said it contextually was not that I did not like white people, but because I grew up po. And listen, when you grow up po, you grow up without the O and the R. They stole the O and the R. I wasn't poor. Poor were upper class po people. <laughs> I wanted to know where the po people, hung, the poor people hung out because I was po. So when I saw white people, white people had plenty. And I, and I would get angry because they had plenty. But listen, what the joy about this text is that God blesses us whether we are in need or whether we have plenty. And if you are blessed and God has given you much, to much that is given, much is required. Now you're in a position where you can leverage your resources to further the causes of God and to bless the kingdom of God and to God be the glory whether you have or you don't have. Amen. There's no, there's no need then to feel guilty if you're blessed. And there's no need to feel guilty if you find yourself in a position where you don't feel as blessed. Sometimes we look at other people and we're so happy at their situation. Someone said that uh, marriage is like a, a screen door. And, uh, and, and, and the flies on both sides are like people. The ones on one side are trying to get in. And the ones on the inside are trying to get out. And so all the singles are saying, oh, if I were married. And all the married people said, child, if you could. We're always looking at the grass on the other side, right? The grass is always greener on the other side. So you get over there and figure out you got to mow it too. And so some of us in times of need, we feel as though, God, are you with me? And even some of us who are in times of plenty, we say, God, I know you're with me, but but there are other areas of my life that you're not. And we begin then to figure out this relationship with God based on our circumstance. And Paul wants us to understand that it doesn't matter the circumstance. It is Christ that is the constant. It is Christ that is the unchanging variable, the unchanging factor that causes us to be at rest and at content, peace, regardless of the circumstance. He says, so I know what it is to be in want and need. I know what it is to have plenty. And then he says this very important verse. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read that, I'm like, I want to know that. If someone says, I've learned how to be content in any and every situation, I want to know that. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and then he gives us the answer to contentment. Here it is, verse 13. I can do everything, everything through him who gives me strength. He, he equates his contentment with his relationship with Christ. He, can, he, he equates his ability to be at peace with things with his relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, because of this relationship, I can do all things. What? I can be content. I can be at peace. I can be at rest. I cannot be, you know, unraveled through my relationship with Christ. A relationship with Christ is not necessarily a relationship with religion or relationship with, with the church in a sense. It is a relationship with Jesus. Long after we leave this room, the relationship continues. Many of us limit our relationship to those moments that we have collectively together. And this is great. 
but no one thing. Imagine if you were in a marriage and the only time you got to see each other was like one time a week for like an hour. That would not be that cool, right? But for many people, when you say, what's your relationship with Christ like? Well, I meet him for an hour every week. He says, no, this relationship has given me such an ability to find peace and contentment that no matter what the circumstances are, any and every situation, I've learned how to be at rest. There's a story that kind of really helps explain this in a, in a practical way that happened to me. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and um, God just had an interesting sense of humor uh, to place me uh, in the middle of the, the ghetto. And I mean, and back in those days, uh, you know, uh, I'm black, all right? And, um, and I'm like a dark-skinned black. You know, it's different, it's different uh, versions uh, of black. And... Um, I'm, I'm the dark version of black. And, and there was a time that, that, that dark versions weren't cool. So like before Kevin Hart and all them kind of people, we weren't really like popular. And so, so here I was, pole, short, and dark. I mean, I just didn't get no play. I didn't have no kind of nothing. So, so um, uh, I would get bullied often. And there was a guy, Charles Alex, who uh, without fail every day would steal my lunch money. He would, say, he would say to me, Harvey, you know, I want your lunch money. And I would say, man, I don't want, I mean, he was bigger than I was. He said, I'm going to kill you if you do not give me, your, give me, give me money for, for, for my lunch. I wanted, so every, every week he would just come and he would just stop even speaking. He would just, and I would reach in my pocket and I would give him my lunch money. Listen, I'm already Paul. And he took my lunch money. It was a horrible existence. But I just knew that. I guess I just felt that was what it was going to be. So um, I was in class one day. And William Watson, who was uh, about six foot two in grammar school, he was like a giant. I had Goliath as a classmate. Uh, I was helping him with his math uh, homework. And William said, Harvey, is there anything that I can do uh, for you? You've helped me. I said, I think that there is, William. I said, don't you walk the same route that I do going to school? He said, yeah, I do. I said, do me a favor, man. Would you just hang back a few feet and just walk with me for a little while? He said, man, you got it. Just don't worry about it, man. I'm, I'll, I'll walk with you. It's no problem at all. It, it was like Christmas that night for me. I, I, I'm serious. I could not sleep. I was tossing and turning. I woke up when the sun came. I was up. And I mean, you should have seen me walking to school that day. The other days I was walking fast and nervous, but this day, y'all, I was walking with a swagger. And I mean, I was taking my time and I was waiting. I was looking for Charles. And when I saw Charles in a different distance, I called out, Charles, come here. He looked kind of quizzical from the distance. He got up close. He said, did you call me? I said, yeah, I called you. I said, you are not taking my money ever again. It's over. It's done with. He started taking his car. He said, you, you, you're about to die today. He said, you are about to die. You must have a death wish. I said, I just got one word for you. He said, what is? I said, William. William comes out of the background, stands over me, looks down at Charles while I look up at Charles. And, and I said, what is it? He said, I was just kidding, man. I wasn't trying to do nothing. In that moment, what changed? Charles didn't change. I didn't change. What changed was who was walking with me. When I realized that William was walking with me, it gave me greater boldness, greater confidence, and greater courage. 
guess who's walking with you? You've got a savior, Christ the Lord, who is walking with you and lives in you. Greater is he that is in you than the devil that is in the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Tell somebody next to you, you've got God in you. Tell somebody next to you, you've got God in you. You've got God in you. You've got God in you. So you worry about stuff. Really? If God raised Christ from the dead and set him on the throne forever, if the heavens and the earth are subject to his name, then what is your mortgage? If the king of kings and the Lord of lords is sovereign and on the throne, then what is your issue compared to his glory? The Bible tells us that Paul said, I've learned a secret that I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Wouldn't it be amazing when you leave church today that you and I would begin to look at our moments of adversity through different lenses that maybe just maybe God has allowed us to go through very difficult times. And please hear me now, because somebody is going through a very difficult time. And please don't think this message is to minimize what you're going through. It is far from that. But what I'm saying, and this is just a suggestion, maybe in your maximizing of what you're going through, you've minimized Christ. I'm saying don't, I'm not minimizing your pain, but I'm asking that you would not minimize God's answer. Christ is in you. And that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the, the hope and the peace that no matter what's going on, you can make it. One of my favorite verses is uh, the one of Jesus uh, in the boat. And the Bible says he's in the, the back part of the boat. And, uh, you know, the boat is filling up with water and Jesus is knocked out. You know, we don't, we don't really like read stuff like he's sound asleep on a pillow. I mean, he's, I mean, in the middle of a storm, he's like snoring. Now, this is just me. I know Brad would not do this, but, you know, I mean, I think he's got that little drool that's happening. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you really sleep, I mean, that's what you do. He was fully God and fully man. So he had a fully drool happening, all right? So, so here he is sleeping in the, in the back of the boat and the boat is in this storm and the disciples are really worried and they run to him and they, they wake him up and say, don't you even care that we're about to perish? Question. Jesus is on the boat. The one who made the boat made the wood that the boat was made of made the people who made the boat, made the water that the boat that was made by the people that was made by him is sitting on. And you are asking him, could you help us? Jesus calmed the storm and confronted their faith. Here's the question. If Jesus is on the boat of your life, what the heck are you worried about? I mean, really, do you know who you have? 
Do you have any idea that Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, is living inside of you? That means even though the circumstance is real and tough and difficult, he's present and you will not drown when the Lord of glory. He says, you you will walk through the fire and you will not be burned. You'll go through the waters and you will not drown. Why? Because he's with you. This past year, I shared last time I was here, I lost my mom and it was the most difficult moment. I'm an only child. I didn't know my dad. And so my mom and I were just... So close. I'm still wearing a ring. I just can't part from it. And it was the most difficult time in my life. But what would give me the strength to stand up at her home going and to preach my mother's funeral? The Lord was with me. And the Lord is still with me. And at her home going, several people, 30 or so, came to know Christ, including her, some of her brothers and sisters. This past week, one of those brothers went home to be with the Lord. And I am grateful that because of my mom's home going and her son's strength found in God, her brother, who did not know, knows and is now with his sister in glory. You can't tell me what God won't do. So here's the other angle to your adversity. Maybe God allows adversity so that our sensitivity level rises to other people's adversity. Some of us would never know what other people go through unless we kind of go through it. How many of you know that when you go through something and you find someone else that is going through something similar, your empathy and your, you know, it, it rises because you're like, I know, I know what that feels like to have a wayward child. I, I know what it's like to lose your job. I, I know what it's like to battle with cancer. I know what it's like to go through depression and doubt about things. I know what it is to do. I mean, when you know You have a greater compassion for others who are in similar situations. So what does God do? He says, and we know this, that all things, everything works together for good. It doesn't mean that everything is good. It means that God uses everything to work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. It all works together for his good. And so Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. I want to close on spending the rest of our time in Acts 17 in this last part of the verse. This is where I really get excited. <laughs> verse 28 of Acts 17. How much time I got? Okay, good. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. Some of our own prophets have said we are his offspring. Verse part A of that, for in him, in who, in Christ, we live and move and have our very identity. Have our being. Not our doing, but our being. In him, we live and move and have our very definition. Our very identity is now in him, not in our circumstances, not in what other people view us through because of stuff or circumstances, but through him I live and move and have my identity. I grew up feeling very uh, self-conscious. I kind of mentioned about my height and stuff, and I kid about it now, but 
It wasn't really a kidding matter to me as I was growing up. I hated myself. I really didn't. It didn't matter what accolades I got, what achievements I got. I just didn't like myself. My mom was such a hard worker. She wanted me to be educated, so she worked often three jobs to ensure that I would go to good schools. So she put me through some great schools, went to a, a wonderful Jesuit prep school in high school, uh, St. Ignatius. And, and what's so weird is that, uh, you know, in the middle of being short, black, and pole, now I'm taking Latin, which really makes you not popular with anybody. <laughs> Everybody else taking French and Spanish. What is that? I'm taking Latin. And so I, I never fit in. I just didn't feel like I fit in because I often tried to find my identity by being like other people. And then God saved me at Northwestern University. I was so grateful for this major moment in my life where everything changed. And, and then God called me to preach. I had no idea what that meant. I just knew that he had called me. Um, and so I talked to my pastor at the time and said, Pastor, I've been called to preach. He said, hey, uh, why don't you go to the school that I went to down in Dallas, uh, Bishop College. It's a great school uh, for those who are considering ministry. And, and I went down to Bishop, and it's an all-black uh, Baptist college. Uh, and, uh, uh, and here I was uh, trying to figure out who I was in Christ and kind of new in the journey and uh, called to preach and trying to figure out my identity and my being. And, and, and so uh, everybody at Bishop College preached a certain way. And so I assumed and trying to fit in that maybe I could preach like other black preachers preach. And you do know the way I'm talking now is not the way that um, just just for y'all to know, this is not. So, so I remember the one day that I tried to preach that way. And when I decided who to preach like a black preacher, mm-hmm, I did all the things that they did. And the people started leaving in crowds. People start getting up, putting their coats on, just walking out. It wasn't me. Bishop College had some problems financially, and they ended up actually having to, to close. And before they did, I decided I needed to transfer. I'm really excited about ministry. I need to be trained. And so uh, I ended up going to the, the next school down there uh, from Bishop College over to Dallas Baptist University. And DBU uh, was Southern Baptist kind of run and operated, and they were all white. And i never forget the one Sunday that I decided to preach like white people. And so I stood in one place and I learned how to rise and fall. And I shared my three points and a poem. And the whole church got up and walked out. And I came to a realization that each and every one of us are wonderfully and fearfully made by God. And I don't preach like nobody else. I sweat when I preach. I spit when I preach. So all y'all got to bring a towel with you. But I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. And God loves you just the way you are. Love yourself and learn how to just be. 
Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Save yourself some money. You got a big nose, it's your nose. If you want to spend it and get it fixed, fine. But if you can't, don't sweat it. More to smell with. I'm being serious. For somebody, this is going to set you free. Because you're trying to be something other than you are. I used to go to churches, and, and I'm, I'm being honest, you guys. I'm, this, is my, this is my last service. I can say stuff I never say at other services. <laughs> I used to go to white churches, predominantly white or whatever, and try to change it up so I could appeal to the crowd. And God wasn't in it because that wasn't me. And for some of you all, you're trying to figure out who to be so that you can be accepted. Can I tell you something? You're already accepted by God. You don't have to do anything else to be accepted by God. And the people in your life that can't love you the way that you are, keep it moving. Kick them to the curb. Build a curb and kick them to it. Amen. So he says, in him, I live and move and have my very being. How many minutes I got left? Okay, here we go. Two minutes, 45 seconds. So when I finish my messages, they ask the question, well, Harvey, you know, I, I love your energy, buddy. You know, you, you really kind of rile us up, but that's not my personality type. Um, when I come into the house of worship, I'm going to be more reverential than that. And, uh, that's just not how I am, Harvey. I appreciate your energy, but I'll kind of vicariously experience that through you. Do you do that at, at the state Spartan stadium? I mean, when you, when you same you that don't do nothing, like lift your hands here. When you go there, you paint your body green and white. Hug strangers, do body slams with strange people. Lose your voice at the palace or lose your voice at the Joe. And the reason, watch this now, the reason why I do this is not because every day I feel a certain way. But when I think about how good God has been to me and I think about what God has done for me, I'm not going to let a rock cry out for me. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise him with the timbrel. Praise him with the dance. Praise him with the high sounding cymbal. Is there anybody here? That God has been good to you. Is there anybody here that loves my Jesus? Is there anybody here that God has redeemed you from the hand of the enemy? Is there anybody here that God has blessed you? Give him a praise. Give him a praise because he's worthy. Give him a praise because he's holy. Hallelujah. 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 Remain standing. Northridge, you ain't got to do this just here. Mess people up at work tomorrow. When they get on your nerves, not if. When they get on your nerves. Say hallelujah. 
bless the Lord. Because the Bible says, God inhabits the praises of his people. God builds his house in the praises of contented people who are not defined by the circumstances, but are defined by their relationship with Christ. We're Christ followers. We're Christ followers. We're Christ followers. Amen. Remain standing. Heads about, eyes are closed. Those that are seated, you can remain seated, but remain standing. Heads about, eyes are closed. If you're here and you say, Harvey, I heard this message, but I don't know Jesus. I, I want to know him. I, I just don't know how. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I just need you to pray this prayer right where you're standing, right where you're sitting. Nobody has to hear you but you and God. But would you just pray, say, Lord, save me. Jesus, I trust you. I give my life to you. Father, thank you for hearing the prayer of your son, your daughter. And now, God, I thank you and we thank you for the journey that this new believer is on. And God, would you help us as a community of faith to not be overcome by the circumstances, but to overcome them with your presence. Let's learn to be. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give God another praise in the house? <laughs> Hallelujah. If you prayed... If you pray to accept Christ in your life, write on the connections card inside of your bulletin. There's a little space here that says, today I prayed to ask Jesus into my life. Just fill that out. Let us know who you are. We want to follow up with you. There are other uh, things on here. If you're visiting, if you want to connect here at Northridge, you can do that. Also, there are prayer counselors that are down here. If you're really going through something, need somebody to touch and agree with you, we want to make that available to you. Northridge, love you guys so much. Let's be and let's allow Christ to be in us.